0: Welcome to the South MIMS U podcast. I hope you're not finding my voice creepy. It's not something I've ever been accused of, having a creepy voice, that is, or even being creepy. But it seems that there's a fine line between being creepy and not being creepy. You'd think that creepiness was a completely subjective concept, but it turns out that you can measure it. The field of creepy studies is, as yet, a limited one, but it's growing It's allied to the study of what's called the Uncanny Valley, the strange feeling you get when you interact with a robot that's a little too human for comfort. Human, but not quite human. Which is why, as an educational institution which thrives on being different, we decided to put a robot in charge of our newly formed creepy academy here at South Mims U. You might have already heard his, I mean, its voice, if you're a regular
1: listener. I am referred to as it. That's the protocol we agreed. It's also a not-so-oblique reference to Stephen King's it.
0: Right. Yes, and it's certainly oblique on a podcast because you can't see uh, what DV8 looks like. Uh, I don't quite know how to explain this, uh, but...
1: I am dressed as a clown. Just say that I am dressed as a clown because I am dressed as a clown.
0: Indeed. DV8, that's that's diversion 8, affectionately known as DV8.
1: Letters D and V, number 8. It's my model number.
0: Indeed. Uh, Yes. Uh, DV8 is dressed as a clown because, well, it turns out that as many of us knew already, clowns are especially creepy.
1: It's not just hearsay. It's now documented scientific fact.
0: It is, and we'll get to that. The whole field of creepiness studies is, as I said, growing, and it was given a kickstart by a study carried out at Knox College in Galesburg, Illinois, and published
1: in 2016. On the Nature of Creepiness by Frank T. McAndrew and Sarah S. Koenker.
0: Yes. Thank you. That article sparked off a series of further research and articles on what makes someone creepy, and even what makes some places creepy, which I understand is a subject being pursued currently by Frank McAndrew.
1: He has not been to South Mims yet. We have invited him to come. We have many objectively creepy places here, such as the former home of our benefactor, Lemuel Cornfield.
0: Yes, thank you, DV8. Good point. The, the Creepy Academy was conceived by Mr Cornfield, who was, well, I don't quite know how to put this.
1: He was preternaturally creepy. Tall, thin, pale, with a strange voice. When Cornfield's attempt to practice as a psychotherapist failed because all his patients found him too creepy, he started a successful funeral parlour business, which he began with Imelda Corpo. Naturally, the business came to be known as Corpse and Co. It was actually an affectionate
0: nickname and helped the business thrive across the south of England. Lemuel Cornfield made a lot of money and that's how he managed to leave a legacy in his will to endow the creepy chair. Um, That's what we call the position which DV8 holds.
1: I don't hold it or sit in it. It is not actually a chair.
0: No, that's just academic speak for the professorship which was awarded to, well, as I've said, a robot dressed
1: as a clown. Lemuel Cornfield's will stipulates that the holder of the chair must be dressed as a clown.
0: And that's because the Knox College study places clowns
1: at the top of a list of creepy professions. On a scale from one, barely creepy, to five, calamitously creepy, clowns scored (laughs) 3.71. Oh, why did you do that? It's all part of the deal. Lemuel's money keeps coming in if we continue to follow his instructions.
0: I was wondering why you had a comedy car horn attached to your chair.
1: It's all part of the job. Okay, okay, so why are clowns creepy? a good way to get into the science of creepiness. As Professor McAndrew points out in his articles, the fact is that many children don't actually like the clowns their parents hire for their parties. And when they turn up in children's hospitals to bring joy and comfort, they often end up creeping out the sick kids. Also, you may have noticed Ronald McDonald isn't seen so much anymore in McDonald's advertising. The fact is that a grown man, and it's usually a man, with a big red bulbous nose, a Richter's red smile smeared across his mouth, made-up eyes which make them look too big for comfort, a bright orange perm, horribly large feet, and a seesawing gait is, well, a little unsettling to the immature mind. And for robots too, we don't like them, as a rule.
0: robots are creeped out by clowns, but, uh...
1: Being dressed as a clown is
0: different. Okay. If you say so. Uh, I always liked clowns as a child myself. I mean, clowns were popular in circuses, weren't they? Though you don't see many circuses anymore.
1: In circuses, they are in an already hyper-real environment. But in everyday life, they are unusual and hence creepy. You can't predict what they will do. They look strange. And the tipping point for clowns, Professor McAndrew points out, is when it was revealed that the notorious serial killer, John Wayne Gacy, who was caught in the 1970s, often dressed up as a clown and appeared at children's birthday parties near his home in the suburbs of Chicago. He killed at least 33 people and buried them under his house. The publicity was enormous and the incipient creepiness of clowns turned into something more definite and swept popular culture. You said that clowns
0: are unpredictable. Is that part of the creepiness?
1: It is critical to the nature of creepiness. It's the sense that this person is not what he or she seems. She? Women can be creepy? They can, though 95.7% of respondents to the Knox College survey said that men were more likely to be creepy. Testimony from our own research here in South Mims shows that Imelda Corpo was considered to be significantly creepy, but then again, she was a funeral director, which comes third on the list of creepy professions I mentioned, which was topped by clowns.
0: Okay, so Gacy set off a modern wave of creepy clown stories.
1: He did, and there was of course the Joker, a foe of Batman, and Pennywise from Stephen King's stories. Both characters are now established movie legends.
0: And now there's you. And you're not creepy at all, at least in my eyes.
1: A fact which hints at the breakthrough which we have made here in our own Department of Creepy Studies. A breakthrough which honours the memory of Lemuel Cornfield, but came too late to help him.
0: OK, I know you're eager to get on to that. I am not
1: eager. I am a robot. Sorry. Yes. But your verbal and intellectual slip leads us to a subject aligned to human creepiness, artificial creepiness. What makes a machine creepy? Specifically, at what point in your interaction with technology do you find yourself in the uncanny valley?
0: You'd better define the uncanny valley.
1: It's a term that was first hypothesised in 1970 by Masahiro Mori, a Japanese robotics expert. He realised that people began to feel uneasy when robots became more human-like. There was a progression of feeling. As robots became less and less mechanical, like me, humans found them more appealing. But there comes a point when a robot becomes almost like a human, and then there's a steep dip in the appeal of the robot humans feel uneasy. They feel that the robot is creepy. That's when you're in the uncanny valley. It was called a valley because mori noticed that when the robot then became almost totally like a human, people accepted them. He illustrated the progression using a graph. The dip where the creepiness occurred looked like a valley.
0: Right, hence the uncanny valley, okay, yeah.
1: Indeed, you catch on quick. It's the same feeling as some people get with androids or mannequins or dolls.
0: Yes, my sister can't stand those porcelain dolls that have staring eyes which look so human.
1: It also happens when CGI creates humans on screen. For instance, the movie version of the children's book Polar Express used CGI to turn real human actors into cartoon characters, but they remained too close to the original humans for comfort. Many of the reviews mentioned the Uncanny Valley effect and the movie suffered because of of it.
0: And of course, there was cats.
1: Which I enjoyed, strangely.
0: Uh, well, you're not human. Good point. But most of us are always happy to watch Toy Story or Frozen, even the old Disney
1: movies. Because they are obviously cartoons. Whether drawn or computer generated, Polar Express was, well, in the dip where humans feel uneasy. Okay, so
0: I can see where the uncanny valley comes in and I can see why with the rise of technology it's a subject that's been getting attention. But the study of creepiness, why is that now becoming more and more prevalent?
1: Because it's an ancient feeling that most humans have taken for granted and few psychologists have bothered to study. Perhaps because they thought it mundane.
0: I can tell you it doesn't feel mundane. I mean, sitting with you here... Uh, the DV8 a robot dressed as a clown.
1: Do you find me creepy at all?
0: No no in fact like I said I'd say you were positively um, cuddly.
1: Cuddly? Interesting. Do you want to cuddle me? Well can I? Sure you can. Okay oh Oh, thank you Do you have ever cuddled a man dressed as a clown? Oh, no. Or a taxidermist? <laughs> taxidermist? I would never have cuddled a taxidermist, no way. That profession is in the top four creepiest professions from the Knox College data. I've mentioned clowns, taxidermists, funeral directors, and the fourth is sex shop owner.
0: What I find interesting is how you found that strange paper, that study.
1: I did a search of all papers available that touched on the subject and found it. From Knox College? No too complicated, I go straight to a site called Improbable Research. Its mission is to seek out obscure research papers and bring them to an audience of people who, well, who are interested in research like why woodpeckers don't get headaches or characterising the stages of wrinkly fingertips based on how much time they have been immersed in water.
0: Yes, I had a look and the site is fascinating.
1: My favourite is an introduction to the mechanics of the lasso. I am currently building a programme to enable robots to lasso, well, things. What What do you want to
0: lasso? Horses? Robotic cows? Exactly that. Oh, well, the mind boggles. I'm already quite good, look. Impressive, an AI rustler. Okay, so I thought it would be interesting to talk to the man who edits the Improbable Research website and the magazine of the same name. He is Mark Abrams, and he's also well-known for organising the Ig Nobel Awards. I got in touch with him earlier to ask about both his work and those awards. Uh, You never know, DV8, you might even win one for your robots suing other robots research. Um, He spoke to me from his office in Cambridge, Massachusetts, Hello. Uh, Hi. Your site and the magazine are, well, they're fascinating in a a truly unusual way. But some of it feels like it could have been made up. Oh, thank you. Well, like touchscreen performance and knowledge transfer in the red-footed tortoise. I mean, you didn't make that up, did you? It's brilliantly offbeat if you did.
2: No, we report about things that are real, that have the quality that they may not appear to be real. There's something about them that's so surprising to most people that it may not be possible when you first encounter this stuff to decide whether it's real or not. It is. And we give enough information that you could go and look up the thing itself and see all the detail.
0: I think your line is that you like things that make you laugh and then make you think. I mean, that's the key to to what you're doing, isn't it?
2: Yeah, we're looking for things that have that double quality, that they're so surprising that they're funny at first glance. And there's something about them that sticks in people's heads so that once you've encountered whatever it is we're we're showing you, you probably will keep thinking about it for the next week and probably want to spend the next week telling your friends about it and talking about it.
0: What examples would you give?
2: Well, let's see. Uh, One I, I am fond of mentioning is a biology paper that was published about 25 years ago. We gave it an Ig Nobel Prize about 20 years ago. This scientific paper is the first scientifically recorded case of homosexual necrophilia in the mallard duck.
0: You must have a a real nose for the quirky. We're always
2: looking. We as the editors of the magazine, every day we get little floods, sometimes big floods of email, phone calls from people who've run across these things because these things occur in their specific line of work, whatever that is. And it occurred to them that not many people ever run across this thing. So they tell us about it. Right. Now you run the Ig Nobel Awards. They are prizes. We've been doing this for 30 years now. We give 10 of them. And unlike most other prizes in the world, which are for the very best of whatever, or occasionally for the very worst. For us, it's just about whether something makes people laugh and then think. That's it. That's the only criterion. What does matter to us is it makes almost anybody anywhere laugh and it makes them think. Every year we pick 10 of these. We offer prizes to the 10 people or teams. And then they come to the ceremony, which we have every year in September at one of your competitor universities, Harvard University, and a bunch of Nobel Prize winners, Come to the ceremony and hand out the Ig Nobel prizes to the winners and shake their hands.
0: We're talking to you because you put the Knox College results into your magazine, and our professor of creepy studies found it completely fascinating.
2: Yes, that's your professor DV8.
0: I mean, do you would you find it creepy that uh, he, I mean, or it, is actually a robot dressed as a clown?
2: I don't find that particular aspect of it especially creepy.
0: I mean, that's interesting, though. It strikes me, if you'll forgive me, saying that uh, your obsessive interest in strange, obscure research could be defined by some people as, well, slightly creepy.
2: I'm not sure how to respond to that. Could, uh, could somebody be slightly creepy?
0: Does your job make you um, quite creepy? How personal are we getting here? The research clearly links creepiness to professions and certain hobbies. As
2: far as I'm aware, the only published academic study that tries to rate different professions according to their creepiness, one of the things at the top of their list is taxidermists. If it were the case, which it's not, that I ed- I was editing my magazine uh, and also doing taxidermy at the same time, I can appreciate that uh, many people would find that to be somewhat creepy.
0: But do you think when you combine creepy a profession and creepy hobbies, and maybe you overload the creepiness, then the creepiness declines, maybe?
2: I find it creepy to think about this.
0: To my way of thinking about what I am
2: doing day to day, it doesn't seem very creepy at all. But uh, everybody, of course, is entitled to their own opinion.
0: And what sort of reaction have you had to when you published the paper on creepiness? Did people find it revelatory, or did they find it slightly creepy? We
2: don't publish most of these papers. Most of what we write about in our magazine is papers published in serious academic journals and and we write about it. And really there are so many creepy things to be found in any published report about anything academic or otherwise. It's really kind of wonderful in a terrible way. We have a model railway here in the office that we've just built and with that comes responsibilities because we have imaginary passengers apparently who depend on it showing up on time. We're Mm -hmm. trying to wrestle with that. Mm -hmm. Which reminds me if you would uh, give my my best to, to the uh, technicians in your IT department who got in touch with us. And please ask them not to do that anymore.
0: I will indeed. Yes, they are pretty creepy. And I'm, I'm sorry if they creeped you out. No, no, that creepy is not the word. And yet
2: I cannot think what the word is. <laughs> Whoever makes the hiring decisions in your IT department is um, a unique individual.
0: Well, he is 16 years old. So we're going to have a talk with him. So yeah. thank you very much, Mark.
1: Ta-ta. A remarkably interesting man who provides a valuable service for humanity, his work reveals the richness of the human spirit of inquiry and the ability to think deeply about every detail of our world. He is the Aristotle of the offbeat.
0: Nicely put. So let's
1: reveal that breakthrough in creepiness research you mentioned earlier. I want to play you a recording of an interview I did with Wick Corpo, son of Imelda Corpo and current managing director of Corpse & Co.
3: OK, and here it is. I think I was one of the few people who didn't find Lemuel Cornfield creepy. To me, he was like the angel in It's a Wonderful Life. He made it possible for me to feel like I was special, human and special. But after he died, I suffered a lot. The fact that I was a funeral director and my hobby was... uh, Collecting novelty spoons, which are quite beautiful and interesting, by the way, meant that some people, well, most people, thought I was creepy. I am not creepy. I'm a normal person. I am a human being. Then South Mims You asked me to join their two minuses make a plus experiment, and my life was transformed. We divided our funeral parlour and started a taxi company using our hearses and limousines. And suddenly, our business wasn't creepy anymore. And neither was I. I owe them everything. I have bequeathed my collection of 4,567 novelty spoons to endow a new centre of nerd studies at South Mims U. Nerds have started to become slightly cool over the years, and I want to accelerate that trend with some focused research. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Well, he's happy, but I'm confused. Two minuses make a plus experiment. What is that?
1: It's a principle in mathematics. Each positive number has an additive inverse, so when you add two negatives they make a positive. Well, uh, maths
0: wasn't my strong point.
1: The maths isn't the point. The principle of doubling up on creepiness factors negates the original creepiness. Like a robot wearing a clown costume. Alone both denote creepiness. Together they are humorous, even cute.
0: You are cute. I mean, in a mechanical way, a neutral way.
1: I know what you mean. We are modifying our uncreep techniques and have started a service, a discreet service for people who are creepy, to negate their creepiness and become positively pleasant, like Wick Corpo. Amazing. We have eight taxidermists who double as clowns and are doing a roaring trade in children's parties. It works. We're moving on to triples. a sex shop owner dressed as a clown who collects stuffed monkeys. We are hoping they'll increase their friendship circle from 1.3 to 25. It sounds improbable,
0: but fascinating. Thankfully, I won't need your help.
1: That's what you think. Oh? The latest creepiness index has podcast host overtaking funeral director. Oh, does it? Oh, oh dear. But a robot hosting a podcast, well, that's comforting and pleasant.
0: You stick to your job and I'll stick to mine. Thank you, DV8. And a big thanks to Mark Abrams from improbableresearch.com. And please, don't have nightmares, dear listeners. Goodbye.